Well, good morning. My name is Zach. I'm the student minister here. I'm super excited to get to preach this morning. I think everybody else is a little bit more nervous than I was. I got mentioned a lot this morning. Uh, I think everyone just assumes that all I do is drink Mountain Dew and play Fortnite. Uh, I promise that's not the case. I promise that's not the case. I do that, but that's not all I do. I want to say welcome to you. Welcome to our friends on Facebook. Uh, so thankful for that. Some of my family got to join us this morning on Facebook, so super grateful for that. This morning we're continuing this series that we've been doing titled, A Big Jesus for Life's Big Issues. This morning we're actually going to be talking about marriage. And so I don't know if y'all knew this, but I'm actually a marriage expert. <laughs> I'm 22 years old. Tomorrow is my two-year anniversary. And so if you need any marriage advice, come see us. We'll be available after the service. Uh, but I'm excited. My wife was praying over me this morning, and she was just reminding me of God's faithfulness to us the last two years of our life. Uh, countless stories. You know, some of our students have, have uh, heard me share this. But a couple years ago, two years ago when we got married, uh, we actually uh, bought this homeless guy groceries, and we spent about 50 bucks on the groceries. We didn't have any money. Uh, it was just kind of what we did. We kind of committed ourselves to a life of generosity. And so we get home, and sure enough, there's a $50 check in my mailbox. And that's just the kind of stuff that's happened over the last two years. God just continues to show up. It's been absolutely incredible. I'm thankful for Randy. I don't know if y'all knew this, but we actually have the best pastor. He's incredible. He does a great job. He does an incredible job. Uh, and so I'm super thankful for him. Just give me the opportunity to preach. What a privilege that is. I don't deserve this stage. My friend Judd, uh, the rabbi, as some people know him, uh, he just told me, he said, Zach, the number one thing that, that young pastors struggle with is pride. And so I just want you to know this morning, I'm humbled by this. I don't deserve this. I have the best job in the world, and I feel like I'm living out my dream every single day. So I'm super thankful. <laughs> I think one of the things that is a problem in our marriages is not so much the marriage itself. I think it's really the way that we view marriage. Uh, marriage is something that's seen. It's common to have you know, three or four divorces. That's common. Uh, it's common uh, to have marital fighting. Like It's almost radical if you don't have that in your marriage. And so when we're doing this series this morning, A Big Jesus for Life's Big Issues, I don't think the marriage itself is the issue. I think the issue is how we view marriage. And so as we kind of get going this morning, I thought it would be appropriate just to kind of go over the reasons why marriage exists. I asked a few of our students this week, I said, hey, why do y'all think that marriage exists? Like, why do you think that God created marriage? And most of them honestly didn't know. But I'd be willing to say if we polled the congregation this morning, the result would be similar. Most people probably wouldn't know why marriage exists. And so I think it's appropriate this morning just to kind of go over a few of those reasons before we get started. One, I believe that God created marriage for the connection of men and women. We see that uh, in the Genesis account where God created Adam. He said, hey, it's not good for man to be alone, so he created Eve. And so we see that already, but we also see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where God wanted basically us to have a relationship with him but also a relationship with others. So I think that's the first reason why God created marriage. He also created marriage for the multiplication of the human race. One of our students told me, I think he created it so we wouldn't multiply. It's like, well, I don't know if that's necessarily true. Uh, we see in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, God mentions this idea. He says, hey, Adam and Eve, go be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. And so we see that. But I think one of the reasons we probably don't think about is that God created marriage for our own holiness. If you're married, you understand that. Uh, that hopefully your spouse is, is encouraging you to pursue Jesus, to pursue that relationship with Jesus. If you're single, it doesn't mean that you can't be holy. Uh, you don't have to get married to be holy or anything like that. But I do believe that our marriages help us to be more like Jesus and to become holy. Two more reasons. 
One of them is this, the protection of the family. The protection of the family. God created marriage because he believed that a family should consist of one man and one woman. And so we believe that to be true this morning as a church. And I read some statistics uh, this week that said if a, if a student or a child grows up without a mother and the father in the home, uh, they're much more likely to be, um, you know, to have poor grades in school. They're much more likely to get on drugs and alcohol. They're much more likely to not graduate from college. And so it's really sad. That's a stat, sad statistic this morning. I'm thankful for the people that I know who have kind of overcome those statistics. But it's a sad reality. And Rwanda is actually going to be one of the first countries. I was telling Allie this yesterday. They're going to be orphanage-free. And the way that they're doing that is instead of funding orphanages, they're funding families and they're funding adoptions. And so it's absolutely incredible. Uh, the last reason is this. For the reflection of our relationship with Christ, arguably the most important. I think if you're married, you understand this as well, uh, that you're a sinful human being and your wife or your husband probably understands that as well. I know my wife does. But they probably see that picture that yet you're sinful, but yet they still love you. You're sinful, but yet they still care for you. Ephesians chapter 5 talks about this idea that Jesus loved the church, a.k.a. his bride, so much that he willingly died for it. And I think we get that picture in the marriage relationship. And so if you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Colossians chapter 3 this morning. I always say the best version of the Bible is the one you'll read. And so whatever version you have, that'll work for us this morning. And I just wanted to give you some context before we got started. We're going to be reading a little bit about what men and women look like, what the role should be like in a marriage. But back in these times, marriage was much different. Uh, a woman didn't really have the same rights as a man. Uh, men were kind of the domineering figure in society. And one of the reasons for that uh, was just the way that the household worked. Uh, men would actually sleep above the wife. Uh, if they had a two-story home, or maybe they had a one-level home, the man would actually sleep above the wife. The women and the children would sleep below. And so you can kind of already see that picture. Uh, but a woman and a, and a child had to ask permission to go and see the husband. A husband could come downstairs without ever even asking permission from the wife. And so you can see how messed up it is. But you also get this picture that a woman could not divorce a man, but a man could divorce a woman. Uh, Jesus, the story of Jesus, when Jesus was born, it said that Joseph had in mind to divorce Mary quietly. We know that he chose not to do that, but Mary didn't even have that option. Mary, you know, Mary didn't even have the option of divorcing Joseph. And the last thing is this. If you look in John, the book of John, you see the story of this woman who was caught in the act of adultery. We probably all remember the story. And the question that I asked myself when reading that story is, where's the man? A woman could not get a man in trouble, but yet a man could get a woman in trouble. And so hopefully that kind of clarifies for you this morning. We get to Colossians chapter 3, verse 18. It says this, Wives, submit yourself to your husband as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. So we've got two verses to go over this morning. And there's really two questions that I ask myself as I read this. One, what does it look like for my wife, Allie, to submit to me? And then two, what does it look like for me to properly love her? And before we answer those questions, I think it's important for us to figure out what this verse, verses don't mean. They don't mean this. It's not speaking specifically to single people. It's speaking to husbands and wives. It's not speaking to man and woman. It's speaking to a husband and a wife. I think it's important to note that because it's specifically for the context of the home. 
Women, it is not telling you to submit to all men. It's not telling you if you have, uh, you know, if you're leading a company that you can never leave a company. It's not saying that you're uh, in, in superior to women or to men or whatever. But it's specifically talk, talking about the context of a marriage. It's not talking about politics. It's not talking about the workplace. It's specifically talking about the context of a marriage. It also doesn't tell the wife to obey the husband. Women, you are not a dog that your husband is just giving you orders. Uh, you don't have to just do everything your husband says. They're basically just saying, Paul is basically just telling you, submit to your husband. Submit to your husband. It doesn't say that the wife is less valuable or intelligent. It doesn't say that men are superior to women. My wife is way smarter than me. She got a higher ACT score than me. She got uh, higher grades than me in high school. She was much smarter than me. She's going to get her doctorate before me. I graduated college before her, but she's going to get her doctorate before me. She's much smarter than me. She's much more intelligent. Women, it doesn't say that you're inferior to men. So don't read this passage and think, I'm inferior to a man. That's not what it's saying. <laughs> I think most men know that this morning. Uh, my wife, Allie, she grew up in a culture where, she grew up in a really small church in Salvisa, and basically the culture of her church was that she had to ask a man before she could speak. Uh, she had to ask a man, and they had to basically give her permission. And so thank God that she uh, is not there anymore because that's how we met. She changed churches. That's how we met. And praise God for that. But women, you are valuable, you are intelligent, and you are cared for by God. Amen. Two more things is this. It doesn't say that a woman cannot influence her husband. It doesn't say that. Uh, women, you can influence your husband. My wife was one of the most influential people in my life. And so women, you can influence your husband this morning. If your husband does not know the Lord, I'll just encourage you with that. You can influence your husband. You can have influence over your husband. Last thing is this. It shouldn't be a forced relationship. These two verses should not be something that you're having to force in your marriage. Women, if you're having to remind your husband to love you, that's not good. Husbands, if you're having to remind your wife to submit to your authority, it's probably not good. You should probably see someone who's much more experienced than I am on that. This shouldn't be a forced relationship. This shouldn't be a forced relationship. Verse 18, it says this, Wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. There's a couple things for, for the women, for the wives this morning that I just want to address. First thing is this, plural leadership, singular headship. God gives us this model of plural leadership and singular headship. Women, you are leaders in your home. The husband is just the head of the home, and the head of every husband should be Christ. And so women, you are leaders in your home, and anything less than that is not from God. You're a leader. God has just called the men to lead the home and for every man to submit to Christ. Next thing is this. Women, how you treat your husband is going to foreshadow how your children treat you. How you treat your husband is going to foreshadow how your children treat you. I know for myself, I've seen this. My mother, she submitted to my father. And I think in turn, it helped me to submit to her. I tell uh, some of our parents this all the time. If they ever talk to me, I say this. I say, hey, the best thing that you can do for your child is to live for Jesus. The best thing that you can do for your child is to live out your faith. Because I think your kids take notice. Women, third thing is this. Should you submit to your husband if they are telling you to do something sinful? I think we probably know the answer to that. The answer is no. The answer is no. Uh, it says, as is fitting in the Lord. If your husband tells you we're going to cheat on our taxes, women, you know that's not from God. 
That's not from God. So women, you're not called to submit to your husband if he's telling you to do something sinful. Women, last thing is this. Jesus is your example. Jesus is your example. Jesus was someone that was both in authority and he was also under authority. Now we see in Luke chapter 2 that Jesus is under the authority of his parents. He obeys what his parents tell him to do. We also see this in the garden when Jesus is headed to the cross. He knows what's ahead of him. But what he does, he says, hey Lord, if it's your will, would you take this cup from me? And we know God's response to him. God's response is silence. Yet he submits. He submits to what God tells him to do, to what the Father tells him to do. But we also see in Matthew chapter 28 that Jesus is in authority. He says, he says this, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you, and surely I will be with you even till the end of the age. But I think what he says before that is important. He says, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Women, you have the greatest example this morning in Jesus. Men, your list is a little bit longer, so we better start addressing it. Verse 19, it says this, Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Yeah. The question I asked ask myself this morning is, what does it look like for me to love my wife? First thing is this, I believe that God wants us to be safe, life-giving people to care for his daughter. Until you see your wife as a daughter of God, you're never going to see her the way that God desires for you. Until I see my wife as not a nurse, until I see my wife as not a student at UK, until I see my wife as, as not someone who just cleans or does the laundry or anything like that, she is a daughter of God before she is my wife. And so husbands, we are called to see our wives in that way. Next thing is this, men. We are supposed to be the head of the household, not the boss. The head of the household not the boss. We are not dictators. We are not just decision makers. We are disciple makers. We're not supposed to just be the head. We're not just supposed to be the boss of the household. We're supposed to be the head of the household. We're supposed to be the ones that are leading the household. My wife and I, we, um, a few years ago, we just got married. We wanted to buy a new bed. That was one of the things on our wish list. We didn't have a bed. And so we went to the sleep number store. We go to the store. Bug's already laughing because she knows how bad this is going to be. This guy could have sold me a piece of garbage with a $5 sticker on it. He could have sold me anything. We get in the store. He sells me this bed. He says, hey, do you want this app on your phone? I don't have my phone with me. He says, hey, do you want this app? It'll tell you how you sleep. I said, sure. How much is it? He said, 100 bucks. I'll take it. I've used that app one time. <laughs> Meanwhile, he never looked at my wife, but I did. After he sold it to me, she's giving me the death stare. Husbands, we are not just decision makers in our families. We are disciple makers. We are disciple makers. You know, if I just make every decision for my family, how is that showing my wife that I love her? How is that showing my wife that I care for her? It's not showing that. It's not showing that. Husbands, be a friend to your wife. Be a friend to your wife. If you want to love your wife, just be a friend to her. Uh, they did some studies recently. They said, uh, it's kind of a secular study, but they basically said if you want to have a healthy marriage... Be a friend. Just be a friend to your wife and see if it doesn't work for you. Uh, there's a couple different types of friendships that I think of when I think of marriage. One of them is the back-to-back -back friendship. The back-to-back -back friendship where you're sleeping back-to-back, -back, you're not talking to each other, you're getting in late, you're going straight to bed, you're fighting constantly, you're yelling at one another. 
That's not from God. There's also that friendship where it's the side-to-side relationship. You're staying side-to-side one another. You're taking the kids to practice. You're doing the laundry. You're doing the dishes. And you're just going through life, and it's busy. And that's not from God either. The marriage that God calls us to is the face-to-face friendship because it gives us a picture of our relationship with Christ. Where we're in constant communication with one another, where we're having intimate moments with one another, I'm not just talking about in the bedroom, I'm talking about the everyday conversations that we have with our spouse, where we're bearing one another's burdens, where we're challenging one another, and where we're pointing one another towards Jesus. And I think that's the relationship that God calls us to. Husbands, next thing is this. Your wife comes before your kids, and your wife comes before your job. I told somebody recently that I was terrified of having kids because I see the way that our culture is treating marriage. Marriage is an afterthought. It's all about the kids. It's all about making sure they get to their tournament. It's all about making sure that they get to their school play. And the marriage is just an afterthought. But I don't believe that that's what God calls us to. Yeah, I think for me, I can build an incredible ministry here. But if it comes at the expense of my wife, was it really worth it? Was it really worth it? Husbands, you can be an incredible employee. You can build an incredible business. You can be one of the top salespeople in your company. But if it comes at the expense of your wife, is it really worth it? I don't believe it is. I don't believe it is. Husbands, next thing is this, and the last thing is this. Keep your eyes fixated on Christ. Keep your eyes focused on Christ. If you want to love your wife the way that God calls you to, you have to keep your eyes on Christ. Because if we're focused on other women, that's not from God. If we're focused on other opportunities, if we're focused on other relationships, that's not from God. We've got to keep our eyes fixated on Christ, who is the author and the perfecter of our faith. I don't think this morning that God just wants us to stay married. I think that's a misconception that God just wants us to stay married. I think what God desires for us is that we would absolutely thrive in our marriages. That there would be something where we are pursuing Jesus so that we can pursue our husband or our spouse the way that God calls us to. Now, I want to give you three walking points this morning As we kind of finish up in the next few moments, I just want to give you three points that I think are going to apply to you, whether you're married, whether you're single, wherever you are. Uh, The first one is this, to develop some godly habits. Develop some godly habits. I think that's going to help you a lot in your marriage. I think that's helped me a lot in my first two years of marriage. My wife and I have a rule in our household that we don't eat breakfast until we've read God's Word. We don't believe that we need food for our stomach until we have food for our souls. And so that's that's kind of a rule in our household. That's what we do. Uh, We also don't eat dinner until we read God's Word together. That's just something that we do. That's what we do. Because we know if we don't develop those godly habits, that when we have children, you can just throw those out the window. Because it's going to be increasingly more difficult. So develop some godly habits. Husband, it's not too late for you to lead your wife in a Bible study. Maybe that just means opening up the Bible app, picking a verse, sharing it with your wife, encouraging her, equipping her to do the work that God requires for her for the kingdom. Next thing is this. Take a break. Take a break. I'm not talking about taking a break from your marriage. I'm talking about taking a break from work, taking a break from life, and all the demands that come with it. One of the most godly things that we can do is get some rest. God has given us a Sabbath for a reason. I think some of us this morning may wonder why our marriages are failing, but yet we haven't taken the time to invest in them the the way that God calls us to. We take walks almost every day. It's something that we do. I learned it from a friend of mine. Uh, He takes a walk with his wife, and so that's something that we've been doing. We just take a walk every day. We just forget about school. We're both uh, full-time students. 
We're both working. We just take a break. Just take a break and see if it doesn't help your marriage. Read God's Word with your wife. See if it doesn't help your marriage. Last thing is this. Remember your calling. Remember your calling. I get a reminder from myself uh, every single Monday afternoon. It just tells me to remember my calling. It tells me to remember the things that God has called me to. Remember why you got into student ministry. Remember why you chose to marry your wife. And it's a helpful reminder for me each and every Monday as I start my week. Husbands, remember why you married your wife. Women, remember why you married your husband. For some of y'all, you may have to think a little while back, but remember why you married your spouse, because I believe it's going to help you, and I think it's going to put things into perspective. You know, if you're single this morning, I just want to encourage you. My wife prepared herself to marry me before we even met. She did that because she was sexually pure, she was a student of God's Word, and she was more in love with Jesus than she ever was with me. And so I'm thankful for that this morning. There was a revivalist, his name was uh, Billy Sunday. And Billy Sunday was a former MLB baseball player. Maybe you know who he is, maybe not. Uh, But he turned into a revivalist. And he asked this church, he said, hey, do you want to experience revival? And of course, everyone in the church said, yeah, we want to experience revival. And the directions that he gave him are kind of different. They're kind of strange. But what he told him to do is he said, go home. He said, draw a circle on the ground. He said, step into the circle. He said, pray for God to revive that circle. And when God revives that circle, he'll revive your family and he'll revive your church. And I believe that to be true this morning. I don't want to be the reason why our church doesn't experience revival. And I certainly don't want to be the reason why my marriage doesn't experience revival and why it doesn't continue to thrive. The Bible says that he who knew no sin became sin so that I might become the righteousness of God. And I love that wife because it serves as a reminder to me that my wife will never be able to fulfill me. She will never truly be able to satisfy the desires that I have. But she continually, time after time after time, points me to the one who can. So husbands, if you're searching in your wife for someone who will fulfill you, women, if you're searching in your husbands for someone who will fulfill you, you're looking in the wrong place. And as we take communion, we're reminded of that this morning. That Jesus, the person who knew no sin, came down to earth, died the death that I deserve for his bride, for the church, so that we might experience life with him. And so this morning, I don't know where you stand spiritually. I don't know where your your marriage stands. But just as Kyle talked about last week, God can revive any relationship. He can revive any friendship. And he can certainly do that with our marriages as well. And so if you just are experiencing some struggles, if you're experiencing struggles in your marriage or whatever it is, we would love to talk with you. We'd love to pray with you. Uh, When we take communion, if you're in the middle sections, uh, you just come around the sides here and then go back through the middle. If you're on the sides, just come through there and then go back around the sides. But let me pray for us as we enter into this time of communion. God, thank you for how you care for me. Thank you for giving me a wife that loves you, that adores you. God, thank you for what you're doing in our family. Thank you for what you're doing in our marriage. Just praying for everyone here this morning, God. If there's, if there's a struggle they're dealing with, God, would they just deal with it this morning? If there's a marriage that's struggling, God, would they just mend that this morning? Guys, we take communion. We just reflect and remember the sacrifice that you gave on the cross for us. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.